And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A Friday edition of the VanCast before a upcoming road trip for the Vancouver Canucks, but most importantly, their most impressive win one night ago. The Vancouver Canucks with a 7-1 win over the red-hot Calgary Flames as we welcome all of our VIPs. Drancer, boy, look, you, you, you said after they beat Seattle that don't underestimate the quality of this win by, you know, by dismissing the opponent. Because Seattle's better than you think. They just have bad goaltending. And it was a yep. complete game. And, boy, last night looked pretty complete to me. Well, I, <laughs> uh, last night was something else. Last last night was something else. Because that second period was incredible. I mean, the Canucks, the, the power play overpowered the Flames, right? The, the, at one point... At the end of the second period, they'd scored three goals on seven shots on the power play. Uh, just an absolute heater. Uh, that Pedersen goal, the, the goal that got it started was incredible. The Markstrom save without the stick. Just wild. Beautiful. I the didn't Demko know what, save, tra- you mean. what did I say. You said Markstrom. Oh, yeah. No, he didn't make many. Uh, but the, De- <laughs> the Demko save where he didn't have his stick. You know, at the afterwards, the, the quote, I don't know what came over me. Like, I don't know what came over that game. Um, it felt like we were locked into a sort of like physical, tense go- game, and then Pedersen scores. Markstrom, or oh my goodness, Demko makes the huge stop, and then all of a sudden it's three nothing. Markstrom's leaving the game, and then it was done. Then it was done. The Canucks, to their credit, just absolutely stepped on the Flames' neck once they had a chance. Five nothing by the end of the period penalty shot goal to put them there i mean that game had everything that was uh that was a carnival game for the canucks it was incredible and what a what a great night out like just you know the jerseys 
the entertainment, Chase Claypool saying the flames suck. Like that, <laughs> that was a good night out. Michael Bublé. Michael Bublé. Yeah. Awesome. Just awesome. Like it was just a good night out and, and a great result, a resounding result. Um, how much do you think the organization is going to read into it? Well, it's a fair question, right? I mean, you know, look, I, I for one, and I, I think you agree, when they when they had the Anaheim game, you know, my opinion was at that moment, this, if anything else, what's happened tonight, given all the stakes, should tell you everything you need to know about the ridiculous notion that you shouldn't be a seller. And what have the last two games done? Right. You know, because at the end of the day, we've been able to rationalize and justify many of their results. Okay. They got a bump when Boudreaux got hired. And then after that has been, you know, it's been up and down. It hasn't been what you think. And then they played so many backup goaltenders, you know, Kevin Woodley telling us that the only good goaltender they have beaten prior to last night was John Gibson. Everybody else was a backup or somebody set up to, to fail based on other circumstances around the game or what have you. Everything has been justifiable but then last night against a really good team and some would tell you that the last couple of games of the flames win streak they weren't playing great but they found ways to manufacture the two points right um you know even even daryl sutter in the morning was just like you know lindholm's been carrying that top line it hasn't been everything you think you know with that it hasn't been all of them it's just been him of late and you know even him trying to you know manufacture a level of urgency but i don't know how you compartmentalize what happened last night i mean and at the at the end of the day thatcher demko is still the canucks best player right and and yep. not that in in a seven goal game that's that's hard to say but in terms of timeliness of saves like this wasn't the leaf game where the entire second and third periods were played in the canucks end right it wasn't that but the, the big saves and the timeliness of the saves, because even in the first period, Bruce Boudreaux said, hey, look, we just need to get out of this period. If we can get out of it, even we're in great shape the rest of the game. And that was prophetic. But what happened? Right. Shorthanded breakaway. Elias Pettersson loses it at the blue line. He makes a great save. There were two breakaway saves in that first period. There were there probably at least three or four high danger scoring chances in that first period. So. Uh, and and again, the shots were 11-11. The Canucks had their had their moments as well in the first period, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, he kept it scoreless. And then at one nothing, making the windmill save, like you say, um, you know there were some key moments. And again, eventually he got the goal support. The power play got on a heater, but you know he still did their part right in all of it. But it's it's hard to just dismiss that game and not have it raise your eyebrows. And now they've won four or five. Yeah, no, uh, you definitely have to raise your eyebrows. No question. Um, playoff chances up to 10% according to Dom Lecision. Uh, so you can fill that out on your Van Cass bingo card. Um, the, you know, I have this sort of theory about hockey in general, right? Which is that, you know, you get a certain number of games that you're going to win no matter what you do. And you get a certain number of games every season that you're going to lose no matter what you do. Um you know, I, I tend to think it's it's something like 16 and 16 and then the other 50 are, are kind of about what you can do with it. And as I look through and think about that game last night, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was remarkable and not replicable. But there was some stuff that you really liked. Like, you know, one thing that I came away from that game thinking and, and I hadn't sort of realized this going into the contest 
partly because of how poor the Canucks' performance had been when they last saw the Flames in Calgary, that brutal one nothing game in extra time. But I actually wonder if the Flames are, 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 the, are, are a good matchup for Vancouver, particularly because the Flames don't have, aside from Dylan Dubé, who they hide on their fourth line, um, like a ton of speed, right? And their players that have speed, Mangiapane and, and Gaudreau, were by far their best. But when that Zadorov, Good Branson pair was on the ice, the, they, it almost looked like Seattle, like the Canucks four check could get to them. Um, you know, I, I thought that was true too for um, the uh, the Flames pair with Hannafin on it, the Hannafin Anderson pair. I don't know that 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 pairs the type. Of, of sort of quick-footed pair that can just elude the Canucks, right? And and there's other teams that have skated the Canucks off the rink this season. Pittsburgh's done it twice. Teams with a ton of speed. Uh, the Flames aren't that team, and I think that maybe works in the Canucks' favor. Um, another thing that I think is replicable power play, right? And we, we saw Miller at the net front. Um, how good did Brock Besser look? in a couple of fleeting moments on the flank. And I know he wasn't there permanently. They were switching back and forth. But two of the goals come directly off of actions uh, that he creates from that left flank, from his um, one-time side flank. And, like, how are you going to move this guy? How are you going to move this guy without giving him a full season there? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair question. You can't do it. You just can't. Like that. So that, for me, was another thing where it's like, okay, Okay, like the power play's been trending in an awful direction for for weeks. Like has really gone in the tank and has been sort of uh, propped up on a run of unsustainable shooting. Now the Canucks, you'd expect to be finishing a pretty high rate of their shots, considering the way they can shoot the puck, as we saw last night. But you know, the, the they have to be generating more zone time, more more looks. They generated a fair few last night, and this they maintained the shooting percentage. Play Besser, play Besser on the flanks and get the power play in order. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling a lot different about what this team could do. Right. Like that's a huge, huge change for me. That's replicable. Um, but as I look through how the game unfolded and think about, you know, the fact that the Flames had twice as many expected goals as the Canucks did at five on five through the first 40 minutes. Um, and it was five nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, think about the fact that the Flames outshot the Canucks by a or sorry, out had twenty six five on five scoring chances against Vancouver in the first forty minutes of the game, and Vancouver just had sixteen. You know this that, and when I consider that the game like the the back of the game got broke because of a a broken skate that caused a backup goalie to come in, something I've almost never seen. Like I don't know that. There's a lot beyond it was the Canucks night that we should take from a thrilling win. Like it was the Canucks night and it was a ton of fun. And and those for me have to be the takeaways. I don't know that there's bigger picture takeaways than that. And and I think the organization, if they're taking bigger things from it, um, you know, they're they're swimming in dangerous waters. Well, how about the top of the organization? Well, then that's that's what I'm obvi- always meaning. <laughs> well, you know, but but that's the thing, right? If you see that against a quality opponent, now you've won four or five, right? Like now you just all you do is you've given yourself more reason to wait. Yep, you've just you, you've done that, right? Like rightly or wrongly, you've just given yourself more reason to wait. Uh, you, you, JT Miller post game 
talked about this is now the standard we've set, right? And we they talked about it post game that and and not to suggest that they think they can beat every team by six goals, but he said he goes, you know, we know what we're capable of. You know, we know how we need to start games. You know, we we know what our level needs to be. Um, you know, and he, he talked about a lot of the things that that fans certainly want to hear and ownership, I'm sure, wants to hear, right? That we now believe we're capable of this type of thing. We've always been capable of it, but this just demonstrated to us what our standard needs to be. Mm-hmm. So you, you just wonder who's listening, right? For sure, for sure. Well, and I think the... You know, I, yeah, I mean, I, the results under Boudreaux have been spectacular, right? But I was thinking about this a little bit because, you know, the Flames have come, have become a, and they, I know this is going to be odd to say following that <laughs> brutal, dreadful performance from them last night, but they've become a bona fide cup contender this season. And last year when they changed to Daryl Sutter, it was a really like there's a really big distinction between what the Flames did in the second half of their season under Sutter after moving on from Jeff Ward and what the Canucks have done with Boudreaux, right? The Flames under Sutter fundamentally changed as a team, right? Their underlying profile at five on five anyway went from middling to elite immediately. And yet the results did not follow, right? They kept losing. They didn't get a bump from the coaching change. With Boudreaux, Boudreaux's come in, and we've seen the Canucks' underlying profile improve a bit, but not fundamentally change. It's still a team with bad special teams in terms of the overall profile, obviously not last night, and a team that's you know a little bit better five-on-five, five, but really is completely reliant on, on all-world goaltending. And yet, all the Canucks have done is win. And so, you know, the takeaway might be like, I wonder if the takeaway now is the Canucks are materially more dangerous this year, but I'm not going to be looking at the Canucks results because of the underlying profile, right? I'm not going to be saying this is going to carry over into next season. They could be a real threat in the Pacific the way I was with Calgary. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, last year you were shocked that Calgary was where they were. I right? was, like you, but, you expected Calgary last year to do what we're seeing this year. Oh, I did. Yeah, because I thought the talent was there. But once they made the change to Sutter, even though it didn't work, even though they didn't rebound, I was dead set on them being one of the best, like giving Vegas a run this year, this time out. Right. And and I I think I was, you know, people people talk about my Leafs boosterism, but it's like I've been the foremost flames believer for a long time. Right. Um, and, uh, and so, but, but I, I'm not going to be feeling that way about the Canucks because their, their change, even though the results have been there, haven't been matched by a change in the way they play, like the way they actually are going about their business as opposed to just the results they're getting. And, and that's, that matters to me. Cause it's not like, like if the Canucks were the Calgary story, my coverage of the team would match my analysis of that Flames team, right? Where I'd be like, sleeping giant, stay the course, look at what this team has done under Boudreaux. It's incredible. They're inevitable. Like, you can't be trading great pieces. Like, you just have to, you know, I'd be saying that. I just don't see it. I just don't see that team. 
And I think this is a re- real risk you're going to run into and that this organization keeps running into by, you know, um, like in the event that they are massaging things, massaging who they are and trying to lead a horse to water in terms of deciding to make changes like that's a dangerous place to be because you're going to have stretches like this. You're going to have games like this. And when you do, I don't think you can overreact. I don't think you can suddenly say, well, now we're a great team. Like now we're a playoff team. You know, this is the standard we're setting is a good thing for a player to say. Um, And you want a guy like Bruce Boudreaux, who's obviously leading this team to be just laser focused on winning games. I'm, I'm, you know, not to take anything away from that. Um, But you get into a dangerous point, especially because, you know, over the course of like, um, over the course of this sort of mini win streak, as it were, uh, you know, I don't know that the Canucks have been this like imposing team, Farhan, right? Like, I don't know that this is, um, you know, I don't know that I'm seeing like a team that's, you know, some studly group, right? I mean, yeah, they've, so it's 14 goals, eight goals against five on five, right? Which is good. Very good. But they've been outshot by eight. Um, you know, they've controlled 47% of expected goals. They've 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 got 89 scoring chances and their opponents have recorded 124 at five on five. They're shooting 12 and a half percent. They're getting 934 goaltending. Like this is this is this team running downhill. And you're still seeing hiccups over the stretch like the Sharks game. But we also right? saw like shooting percentages. Game. We also saw shooting percentages in the first half of the season that were unsustainably low. Oh, 100%. We, we, I, this team is going to shoot better over the second half. I've been saying that for a long time. And we're seeing it from the guys we'd have expected to shoot better. Right? Pedersen in particular. To me, the, the entire irony in all of this is when Boudreaux gets hired, the Canucks win games with their best players still not having shown up yet. Mm. And now all of a sudden, these last 16 games, we've seen a completely different Elias Pettersson, and they've generally oh, been yeah. treading water. Right. But now, like now he's even, the last half dozen games, he's even elevated it that much further. So now all of a sudden, there's more than just Thatcher Demko doing things for this team. Yeah. And if all of a sudden Bo Horvat, the last two games... You know, with his three goals in the last two games, and you look at his first 40 minutes yesterday with uh, the two goals and the number of shots and the number of hits that he had. um, Now, all of a sudden, there's a few more pieces contributing to all of this. It's not just simply a team riding goaltending. No, no. But it's also not a team throttling opponents five on five or winning in a way that looks at all sustainable. And so now you get into this dangerous moment where you're, what, just under a month out from the deadline now. And you're running hot, you're running downhill with favorable percentages, with stuff that will evaporate, with stuff that you kind of can't control. Even though I think this team has both high-end finishers and high-end goaltending and should have a slightly elevated, you know, um, like PDO over a long haul. But I'm talking about like a 101 or a 102, like they're running 106 during this four and five stretch. Um, this, This isn't an inevitable team. This is not a juggernaut team. This is a team that, Hey, maybe they could get lucky. And are we going to do this again? 
Like, are we going to do this again? Or are you going to try and build a, build a great team? Are you going to try and build a luck proof team? Are you going to try and build a team that can win 70% of their games with bad goaltending? Like that's because that's what teams, that's what the elite teams in the NHL do. The Leafs did it for two months. The Calgary Flames did it for two months. So, so did the, so did the Florida Panthers who I have to bring up. I'm contractually obligated. People don't realize. So, you know, I, I, that's, that's the type of team I look at and say, that's a threat when you, when you can win, when things go against you, when you can win, when, when the wins at your back, you know, that's yeah, of course it's the NHL. All teams have good players. Like, but this is this th- this team hasn't evolved into something more than what they were under Boudreau. They've just had results because of otherworldly goaltending. And and to me, that's a hard way to live. That's a that's a narrow line. And that's not to criticize Boudreau, who I think has done a phenomenal job. And uh, I want to get to this later, but like I really liked how he managed the last 10, 15 minutes yeah, for sure. uh, against the Flames. Um, you know, I think he's. I think he's really simple in his approach, and I think it's paid off. Um, and good for him. I think that's uh, fantastic for him getting another opportunity. But I also think it's fantastic for this team to have a coach like that, a leader like that. I think he's done great. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's changed my view of what this group can accomplish. They're still severely limited, and if they're going to make a run here, it's going to be relying on some of the smoke and mirror stuff as opposed to a fundamental change in who they are. And to me, that's not something I like to bet on. Like, I don't, I don't want to bet. I don't want to bet on the things that, that the team itself can't control. I, I want to bet on the team that can make their own destiny. So much more to talk about. Four-game road trip coming up. The jerseys, uh, of course, Bruce Boudreaux and the elephant in the room, JT Miller, when we return. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Bruce Boudreaux endears himself to everybody post-game, Drancer, by saying, yeah, the jerseys, sure, if they want to. Uh, hell, I, I, I'll go to sleep with these jerseys if they perform like that all the time, right? It was a classic Boudreaux answer. Uh, you know, the, the funny uncle that everybody loves. And um, But, you know, you talked about how he handled the late stages of, of a 7-1 game, 7 nothing at that point for mm-hmm. the most part. And he just decides, okay, I am not going to load up my guys because the Flames aren't happy. Uh, they're going to wind up taking some shots here. I don't want to risk any injury. I don't want to be seen as running up the score because we got to play this team twice more. Uh, you know, the fourth line on the power play, all of it. Um, it, it was textbook in terms of how to diffuse carryover. For sure it was. And, and it was extra disciplined because he has three forwards on the top unit, Miller, Horvat, and Pedersen, 
all sitting a goal away from a hat trick. Right. So even if you don't want to run up the score, like players want that hat trick, <laughs> like, you know, there, there, there's a discipline required there. And then to make matters even more difficult, you know that the flames are going to come at your guys. They did come after Pedersen after one shift. Right. Um, and and, you know, you know, you don't have. The back alley brawlers <laughs> to match them. Right? Yeah, like, like if the Canucks no... got into that situation, they would have gone away meekly. Uh, well, right? you there have wouldn't to. Have, I know, but I'm just saying the, the Flames have it in them to make the last five or yeah. ten minutes a very difficult. Yeah, the Flames have some apex predators. Like the Flames have Milan Lucic an apex predator. Um, Never Zadorov. heard that one. That's got to go on the. That's got to go on the bingo card. That's a good line. <laughs> apex Zator- predators. I'm writing that down. If I was running right now and you were and I wasn't a co-host, I would stop right now. There you go. Let's let's go. The uh but yeah, I mean good Branson Boudreau jokes post game Zadorov, all eight feet of him, right? I mean the the flames are as heavy as it gets. Um they are a pretty classic Daryl Sutter team. And so I thought I thought there was a lot of dynamics there that Boudreau had to be aware of and manage. I just thought he did it really well. Like I thought it was a trickier situation than than it seemed, and uh, and I thought he handled it with a fair bit of discipline and, and class too, and and I like that. Like I really thought, again, this is this is, you know, Boudreau nails the big picture stuff, and you can accomplish a lot if you nail the big picture stuff. And this for me was another example, right? I just I was really impressed with that stage or or that phase of the game and how Boudreau navigated it, threaded the needle. Yeah, there's no question he did. And, you know, he, he couldn't couldn't have handled it better because Daryl Sutter's the type of guy that he would remember that stuff. There's no question about it. And um and and you're right. I mean, with three guys sitting there with two goals each, and um, you know, but at the same time, you know, you also want to get Nils Hoaglander going, right? And he put him out there a bunch in the third period. And you yep. know, you you've got to find ways to get some of these other guys feeling a little bit good about their games. You look at their biggest threats, how many nights this year have we said the Canucks' best players simply need to be better. And not just Pedersen. I mean, JT Miller's been relatively consistent. Horvat's had his ups and downs. Besser's had his ups and downs. But those guys, those four players, or including Quinn Hughes, they combined for 13 points last night, right? Miller with four, Pedersen with three, Horvat and Besser with two each, Quinn Hughes with two assists as well. Um, you know, it, it was great. And, and if you were Bo Horvat, and we talked about this after the last or on the last pod, that he hadn't been playing well, uh, did wind up scoring the power play goal. But is this enough to kind of really get him going? Well, after last night, he's now officially going. Well, so, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I thought there was plenty to read between the lines of Boudreaux's comments about Hoaglander, both before the Chicago game about a month ago and then again pregame. Um, yesterday, you know, I, I think questioning his all-around game, his hockey sense, and you know, I thought Hoaglander turned in a pretty complete game. He had the first scoring chance in the game for the Canucks, and you know, I, I actually think at five on five early, the Flames seemed to be taking it to the Canucks pretty significantly, and I felt like it was the Pedersen line that really stemmed that, that kind of began to build some momentum for the Canucks. 
Yeah, it certainly looked it certainly looked like they were on from from the first shift, right? That line, and you know, you you know that he's not going to put them in a matchup position, right? JT Miller was getting the matchups earlier. Um, you, you know, that's just not going to be that that line with those two young players. But yeah, you, they were noticeable, right? And and not just off the rush, but they were retrieving pucks. They were they were playing down low from time to time. The only thing I didn't like was it was it Hoaglander on the final on the on the goal on the Mangiapane goal that was laid on the back check. Oh, it might have been. Yeah, I mean, when I when I looked at that, uh, I was you know I wasn't sure you know who was necessarily responsible, but it looked like he was kind of trailing a little bit. But other than that, I thought there were some very good back checks by him, and I think that he uh, heard the message from his head coach that he needed to offer more because you know he's right. When you just don't have it going offensively, you better find something else in your game. Right. And it certainly has been a bit of a sophomore slump for for Hoaglander. But, you know, to to view this guy as a guy that's all of a sudden going to be a bust because he's having to take a small step back in order to take the next step forward. I think that would be a real mistake because I still think there's there's a lot to like. And I think in Pod Colson's case, I think what attracted so many to him in terms of what he did in the in the cage when he finally got to play, but even at the World Juniors, is just that completeness to his game. Like, don't view this guy as a guy that's going to be a, a, a top-line point producer. There's other elements to his game, and I think that's starting to to resonate and show as he gets more ice time playing on a line with Pedersen. Well, yeah. I, I mean, Hoaglander's a, I think Hoaglander is fantastic. And you, and you look at what this team needs. Like, what's this team's biggest issue? It's manufacturing offense five-on-five. And Hoaglander scored the most goals among all Canucks forwards since he joined the organization at five on five. Like he's their leading five on five goal scorer the last two years. Granted, he's played four or five games more than some of the other guys, but you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that. And he's second. Only JT Miller has more points and he only has three more points at five on five than Niels Hoaglander. Like I sometimes talk about JT Miller's county stats being a little bit inflated. Like there you go. Right. The fact that JT Miller only has three more five on five points considering how many more minutes he plays um, and how we think of him and how we think of the gap offensively between the two like one's a supporting player who's struggled this season and one is you know the straw that stirs the drink offensively top 10 in the NHL in scoring and yet the gap over two years is like three or four points uh, five on five Um, this team can't afford to lose a guy who manufactures offense like that at evens like they they can't even though he hasn't finished maybe as efficiently as the Canucks would have liked this season. What are you seeing from Pedersen relative to the best of Pedersen? Is this the best of Pedersen? 10 points in his last four games, four straight multi-point games, uh, you know, 20 points in his last 16 games, you know, even his second shorthanded goal of the season. Is this the best of Pedersen? It's pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty close. It is, isn't He's, it? He, I mean, when he stole that shot or when he stole that pass in the neutral zone on the on the PK and Bo Horvat worked really hard to get open to be an option for him right and there was this moment he strides across the blue line and Horvat's like rushing to make it a 2 on 0 and as the play's unfolding and it, and it all looks so slow from the press box right i uh, i ha- i just had time to think there's no way he's passing <laughs> before he ripped a whisper perfect wrist shot past Vladar that made me laugh. It made me laugh. Like I started laughing. I did my maniacal laugh. You did. And um and it was just it was such a great shot. Like it was just I don't know how else you react to a shot like that. It's just 
and it, it was it was like um scary you know i, I laughed because i was uncomfortable i was like how can you how 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 does one accomplish that that was a wild shot and yeah well i mean that's Pet- Pedersen willful imperious best right I, I i thought and when you look through the last 10 games and look at what he's achieving is it his is it him playing his best uh you know i think the i think he's close like i i really do and one thing i like is that his underlying numbers are the best on the team, right? I mean, no one is driving play like Pedersen. I've talked about the Canucks five on five form falling off over the last, you know, over the course of even this five game win streak, but it goes back a little further than that. Their five on five game has, has really tailed off the last 10 for really for the last month. It's been trending in the wrong direction. Pedersen though, 56% control of expected goals that leads the entire team. Um, the team has been outchanced by like 40 <laughs> at five on five in terms of scoring chance differential with Pedersen on the ice. They're in the black, <laughs> right? They've out outchanced their opponents. He's the only Canucks forward for whom that's true. In fact, he's the only Canucks player for whom that's true. Every other, every other Canucks player over the last 10 games has the Canucks have been outchanced with them on the ice five on five, except for one guy, Elias Pedersen. And so the production is there. And and here's the thing that that's interesting. I talked about not wanting to give too much credit to a team when they're running downhill with uh, with a high shooting percentage. Well, Pedersen's kind of the exception to that because in his first 200 ish games in the NHL, he ran at at one of the highest sa- shooting percentages in the league, and it was matched by one of the highest personal shooting percentages in the league. So he was driving it, right? I mean, he is the rare player who I do believe over large samples can defy gravity in this league because of his pinpoint shot, because of how smart he is at creating offense as a playmaker as well. He is, to me, one of those very rare time machine type players who can turn goalie save percentage back to the 1980s on a regular basis <laughs> when they're on the ice, right? Uh, Steven Stamkos was one. Sidney Crosby was one. Um, but but it's like a, there's a very small amount of guys who can do it, which is partly why I have so much faith in the way that the underlying numbers look, right, Farhan? Like the way goalies are in the NHL, percentages are relatively fixed. Like over a long sample teams shoot between 7.5 and 8.5%. Um, and they do that because goalies save right between 915 and 925% of shots faced at five on five. Like that's how hockey works at this level. The goalies are so good. The defenses are so good. And it's really like 5% of players. Once you get into huge samples, I'm talking like 5,000 minute, 6,000 minute samples. There's only like 5% of players that are outliers one way or the other in terms of shooting percentage. And and they're the guys you'd expect. It's Pedersen. It's Crosby. It's Patrick Kane. It's Connor McDavid. It's Austin Matthews. Like, it's the guys you think can do it. Uh, Jonathan Huberto. Um, and then on the on the other end, there's some guys who, who never take a chance, right? Who dump it in on every two-on-two and change and who have a muffin shot anyway. And those guys are similarly the guys you'd expect to have lower shoot, safe shooting percentages. So... What, what, what I'm bringing up here is uh, a sort of wider theory, but but with Pedersen in particular, he's running he's running with the wind at his back, except I expect him to run at the wind at his, 
with the wind at his back because he's that type of rare player overall. Um, and yet, for as good as he's been, when I look through the five-on-five offense, you know, he's got six points at evens. So a lot of this damage is coming on the power play, um, which isn't atypical for him. But is there a level beyond that? Like, yeah, I think there's a level where over a 10-game stretch, he has more than one point um, beyond what Yuho Lamico's produced. <laughs> so I don't know that we're seeing Pedersen at his absolute best in terms of five-on-five production. I still think there's a level beyond this, but I do think in terms of the play driving, in terms of the shooting, in terms of the way it feels around him, right? Like the way that he seems to be in control of games, um, you know, he's certainly back. Time for one more break. When we come back, let's talk jerseys. We'll also talk Brandon Sutter and the upcoming road trip. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now, look, Drancer, for my money, I like the warm-up jerseys, the Black History Month. Oh, that logo is great. I, I love that. Um, Canucks did it really well. Good for they them. They did. They did. Just the entire evening, and, and their, what they were celebrating was uh, was very strong. But um, everybody wants to talk about the throwback jerseys. I, I said the power play looked like it was in a bit of a throwback mode after the way they were performing in the <laughs> yep. first two periods. But... What do you think? Like the only, are they going to find a way or is it too late? I don't know what the league requirements are if they want to change their minds here because it was supposed to be the only time this year that they wore them. So much so that Thatcher Demko went all out with his Kirk McLean impersonation, not just with the windmill save, but just every little detail what, what, of his equipment. Was Kirk McLean a windmill save guy? Well, I mean, I think that was that was the era prior to, you know, Patrick Waugh was, you know, the first consistent yeah, butterfly goaltender, right? Yeah, and, and McLean was a stand-up. Yeah, I, like, and so but don't you but think back of the then, pad stack? Don't sure, you, think of you the do. Pad but, stack with McLean as opposed goal, to the windmill. You do because of the because of the one you know the right yeah. goal save against Calgary. But at the same time, he, he did his fair share of windmill saves because goaltenders in that era just had, that, that's how they saved pucks, right? Like they were they were athletic, they were flamboyant. They they yeah, that's how they rolled, right? So I loved uh, him addressing that he's not a windmill save guy because how often have I talked about that? You're right, but for him, it's just it's so out of character for his understated personality. He's so when understated. I, when I asked him the question, like normally his answer would be bland. Totally, but he actually was just like, yeah, I don't know what got into me. Like that's a very unThatcher Demko type of answer. It's very authentic. Like yeah, he's right. He doesn't know what got into him because that would never get into him. Uh, but you, um, you loosened him up, though. You made a good joke to open the availability. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. To, like cr- credit credit to you. I think I think 
I mean, I don't want to take credit away from Demco because that was a huge impression that was made on me yesterday. But you start the availability, Farhan, and you say, you know, uh, you know, guess goal support wasn't an issue tonight. (laughs) And he loved it, right? He laughed. And I don't know if that put him at ease or if he's just growing up a bit. But you know what? That availability was very out of character for Demko. He's usually so amped up after games, but also so conscious of managing his emotions that he tends to come off really flat in that environment. And well, last night... And let's uh, w- let's set the scene, too, because when he sat down, it was maybe three questions in that Pedersen showed up. And in a normal scenario, we couldn't get rid of Thatcher fast enough because he just isn't going to say anything. Right. To get and to Petey. And, and Petey was just sitting point. there looking and staring, waiting for us to ask him a question. I felt like throwing one out to him out of courtesy. And we just didn't because Thatcher was on a roll. He, he was. And he was chewing scenery. Like he was holding court. He felt like for the first time in that setting anyway, this team's star player. And I think he's become that. But this was the first time it felt like it in a media availability where it was like, oh, you're the man. You're the man now. And I think there's probably some growing up there. I don't want to take credit away from him and be like, you loosened him up with a good joke, Farhan, even though you did. (laughs) Um, Because I think there's a real growth there. And here's, here's some PR guy bias to me, but it's like, you know, Players don't love doing the media obligation stuff day to day, right? Typically, right? They consider it to be a sideshow to their jobs, but it isn't. It is part of their jobs. They are entertainers. Part of their job is to be worth the price of admission, to sell tickets, to build connections to those who pay to watch them play. And the media is one way of doing that and, and a pretty powerful way of doing that if you do it right. And, you know... I think that winning teams have winning habits in all areas. And one area that shouldn't be overlooked is, is how you handle that side of it. Look at the Sedin twins, right? I mean, they, they're, they're the template for it. But, I mean, go up and down the list of great players. Sidney Crosby, right? They all handled this stuff pretty well, right? They all understood the job. Uh, they had winning habits even when it came to being available to discuss things with the media, right? Um, There's, there's real growth. I I was really impressed with what we saw out of Thatcher uh, in that, in that context. And it was such a departure from what I'd expected when he first took the stage. And then, you know, I kept going, right? Like, I think I was probably the one who extended his availability the most. And then, and then McIntyre grew it, jumped in too, but it's because he was going like when the going is good, (laughs) <laughs> you know, don't stop, right? That's a key lesson of doing a media availability. When a guy is rolling and being frank with you and giving you good quotes and good answers, just keep asking questions. And Demko, that was a very different type of performance from him last night and one that made a really a considerable impression on me. And generally with, with Thatcher, he's one of the guys that I think um, the, the fans who want to get to know their athletes 
you lose out by not having the one-on-one time because Thatcher generally is pretty good one-on-one. Oh, fantastic. Right? Like yeah. at the end of his at the end of a scrum, when you're the last guy left and you're just talking, Thatcher's really thoughtful and engaging and just a good guy right so we haven't seen that so it was nice to see that again because generally with most athletes you don't see that in this setting yeah it's true well and and i so i was really impressed with that um overall we were talking about something before this jerseys should they wear them again like should they go back to this and and find a way like what are the rules you're the pr guy well I, i you typically have to get permission almost a year in advance to do various things with your jersey but you know could you make a rush request i mean the ones that are hard are when you want to wear white at home that's the one where you require permission from visiting teams and like that's a whole boondoggle um there's like league memos involved you have to sign the gm has to sign like those are the ones that are really hard wearing an alternate jersey on home ice so long as it's a dark color jersey that's not typically as as complicated um i think they could probably rush that i think they could probably figure out doing it a couple more times but i don't know that they will right i think the canucks prize their classic look um in general and um and so you know we'll see we'll see what they do but i it's fun to see that, that it's fun to see those colors on Vancouver ice. I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the logo, um, but I but I can't ignore the impact there. There's a certain volume um, to seeing that black, red and, and yellow uh, skate around home ice. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's so interesting for me going back to when the original blue uniform was the norm and then they went to the to the yellow, which originally started with the flying V. Uh, but just those colors, and at that time, the blue was just seen as this boring, outdated, non-classic because we never associated with wins, right? So right. it was just it was just a boring uniform, and they needed to find something more exciting. And then they had like psychologists involved in designing these and the logo and the colors, and you know how it was supposed to be more aggressive. And then by the then eventually it just became kind of tacky and an eyesore and they switched, you know, they, then they made another switch. And now, you know, we, we crave this and the blue is seen as classic. It's, it's so weird how this stuff comes full circle, but look, if they're going to wear it as an alternate, I, and I like the blue better. So I'll put that out there. I like the blue and white better, but I would, if you're going to do it, I think it's not a bad thing to do it three to four times a year. I like a little of it goes a long way for me. I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys, but you know, I also think it's cool in the NBA and in soccer how how fans get like cool versions of of their team's jerseys every year, like several of them. Yeah, I'm kind of on, and maybe this is too capitalist for for some people, but I'm kind of on team change your jersey every year. Like you should have a new really? jersey every year. Yeah, wow. yeah, why not? Why not? And if you're the Canucks, you have this massive template to choose from. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I would. I'd I just love wish. To they, see I it. just. Heck, I just wish they'd change their goal song. Hey, uh, before we go, <laughs> let, what let, is their goal song? That's this thing from Breakfast Club. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, right. Yeah, it's, it's not for me. It's just. It's not good. I mean, unless it fits the bill of annoying, like Chelsea Dagger. I don't know. Totally. But, well, and if I didn't even like, I don't. I barely even marked it, and they scored seven goals. Like it should be annoying me by the end of a seven goal game. Hey, let's look ahead to this road trip. So you've got the two New York teams back to back on Sunday and Monday, uh, and then followed by the New York Islanders on Thursday and the Leafs on fr- uh, on Saturday. Um, 
like I know you, so you're not even thinking of point totals and what they need and any of that stuff, right? Uh, again, what, I mean, for it's, what? It's, for what? For 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 to get, get I, back I into the playoff I, race? I, I can't even say it. Well, what JT Miller was talking about yesterday, what uh, oh. Bruce Boudreau was talking about yesterday. Well, but, no, I mean, I cover that. Uh, they're up to 10%, like according to Dom LeCision, so that's good for them. Um, they haven't even really caught the Ducks in my view. I mean, they haven't caught the Ducks in my view. Um, yeah, they haven't. So you're pretty far back here. You're you're really chasing Edmonton and Dallas. Um, yeah, I mean, minimum, minimum, you need six of eight. Tall ask. Minimum. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all a tall ask when you put yourself this far behind the eight ball. Boudreaux put it really well. 21 in 30. Yeah. Right? With, with the one that they just had being one of those... Uh, one of those 21 so 20 of 30 um, you know that that kind of gets you close I, I would bet the under <laughs> obviously <laughs> obviously um, and you know I, the, the playoff race talk too to me is just I'm I, I don't like the idea that this team is going to judge what they do based on how they perform over the next three, four weeks. Like we've seen this team play 53 games. Like, I don't know. I don't know why we need to see that. I don't know why anyone making decisions or signing off on decisions for a billion dollar organization would need, you know, the, the 10 more coin flips to determine, to determine the right course of action here. You know, it's happening. You think it's happening? Uh, yeah, well, I'm not telling you they're making the playoffs, but I do believe they're legitimately waiting. And, and let me say this. I think if somebody blows the doors off them with an offer, I do believe they'll take it. But it hasn't gotten to that point yet. So until it does, like what JT Miller is doing is he is making sure that if you're going to trade me, you better hit a home run. Yeah. You better get all of your wants out of me, right? Like you, you better get your cap flexibility. You better get your prospects. You better get your draft pick. Um, you like all of it, right? Yeah. Well, you and, need your cap flexibility. Like, so yeah, I mean, but that's, but that's what's happening, right? Like this is not going to be a marginal deal. This no. is going to be a deal. If, if it comes early, it's going to be one that everybody has to say as obvious, right? Right. Like it's, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a stand-up triple. It's got to be a home run. And, and that's, you know, they're just, they, they've got a high ask. They should have an, a high ask. And what's happening now is ensuring that if he gets moved, that's what it's coming for. And well, that's it, it probably should be that way. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that. I, I do think that the team needs to make some moves to shed cap commitments for next season, almost regardless. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think you need to you can't be making day to day decisions with a new front office, you know, like you have to be you have to be looking ahead, in my view, with where this team is and and all that's gone down. And yet, you know, do you want to waste the good vibes of this Boudreaux bump? Right. Because, again, you know, they're getting results like they You, you can't argue with the results that Boudreaux's had, even if even if the team's overall form overall profile is unchanged for me and and to me that's what i wait right i don't wait short-term results as much as i do that underlying form because that's what that's what's going to dictate future results like i want to see uh, i hear you you're, you're, you're one of the you're you're one of the few people that thinks that far ahead and god bless you 
Uh, fans are, it's, it's hard for fans to be conditioned to think that far ahead, given the pain that's been endured, but here we are. I think, I think fans in this market are like, I think there's a, a consensus of fans that, that are very much aware of what this team is as much fun as yesterday is. I don't think those fans live day to day. I think fans have seen enough, uh, from this organization and want, they want a great team. And I do think there's a recognition of what that's going to take. If does if the, the question come- is the question is 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 does the excitement from a game like that uh, tilt decision making at the top levels of the organization? I think that would be nonsense. Like I think that would be wild. That's an that's a ridiculous way to run yourself as as a professional f- franchise. Um, and I actually think fans are more level headed than that. Certainly, the ones that I was having drinks with post game last night were. You know what, Drancer? If they win, if they get six of eight points and come home and trade uh, trade Miller before the next home game, there's going to be a lot of backlash. Really? Yeah. I, like I'm not telling you that's right. I, I like I just I know the market and and I just I yeah I think it's I think it's unavoidable that they're they're just saying oh they finally got there and they were they were you know they had won uh, you know they had won uh, seven of uh, nine and all of a sudden they come back like they were finally getting it going and. You know, there's going to be that group that look. Yeah, you can't keep maybe. losing. You've got to you, you've got to push for playoffs. You've got to get into the playoffs in order to get your guys used to winning. And they, you know, they see it from a micro perspective, not a macro perspective. And that's just the way it's going to be. No, but fair I, enough. Uh, the 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 opponent that the Canucks will face on Sunday, though, that's the template. Like that's the team that pulled the plug on a team with much better playoff chances than the Canucks have right now. Yeah, and, in, a, in a market that's not as invested. I mean, they're they're the New York Rangers, the most yeah, valuable but, franchise in the league. Sure, but relative to the other franchises in New York, there are other priorities, whereas here there is only one. Uh, Time for us to go. Hey, listen, just so that our VIPs know, we are working on a special guest for next Tuesday's pod coming out of the Sunday, Monday back-to-backs. But uh, as far as other pods, Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian recap a busy week in the NHL with the Athletic Hockey Show Monday, wherever you find your podcasts. And as for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast after an epic 7-1 win against Calgary. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform don't forget to leave a rating and a review and right now you can get annual subscriptions to the athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash vancast and hopefully just so everybody knows all of our listeners know as committed as drancer is to you he's even more committed to wallace because he was supposed to be on this trip going back to his beloved toronto he was supposed to be on this trip (laughs) but he decided because wallace has injured his leg he he didn't want to leave his wife just all alone dealing with with the dog because she's got to work as well. So he stayed back. And Harmon Dial is in New York this weekend. What is he like? Nineteen? What could go wrong? Uh, he's gonna have so much fun. It's like Home Alone two all over again. Um, <laughs> happy for him. Happy for him. But yeah, you know, family comes first. It's got to be that way. And um, I've 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 sacrificed <laughs> I've sacrificed enough for my career over the years. I couldn't leave my wife um, I, basically you know, I- in prison. With uh, with an injured, highly sedated dog uh, for for a stretch of ten days, it just didn't feel fair. I think on Friday you guys should switch. Have him come back, and you just go to Toronto. <laughs> well, I'd love that. I mean, I'd love to see my friends. <laughs> All right, thanks by for who, this. By whom I mean the Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks for this. We'll we'll talk again. You know, actually, you know what? Real quick, just as a, yeah. as a quick tag, you're a PR guy, and we can't go too deep with this because we're pushing an hour. What would you do? If you were the Washington Capitals right now, with all that's oh going boy. on in the world, like I, oh I know boy. this is a tough one to bring up now, but what would you do with Alex Ovechkin? 
<sighs> I mean, you're about to go to the playoffs. I'd probably, I'd probably, I'd probably prefer a holding statement. I think like you're putting me on the spot a little bit. So I, I would probably, I would probably try and come up with a, a political holding statement of some kind. Right. And, and so this would be something that I'd put out in advance of an availability, either in video or written form, um, you know, express national pride. Um, and, sort of as innocuously as possible some support for like you know you want it to be true to you so some support for that but also make it an anti-war message as opposed to a a big comment right like you know i I hate to see people's lives affected my hearts go out to everyone da 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 and and then when and then when he's available you refer back to the statement and i think that's your best bet you have to just filibuster and stonewall because there's no benefit to your club or to Ovechkin himself of well, there's potential benefit to the club, but there's no benefit to the player given what he could face at home. Well, no, of course. I mean, I mean, of of, but uh, but also, I you know, of criticizing the thing. I I, I suspect that's not what you're going to get. So it's got to be, you know, it's got to be like an anti-war holding statement that you refer back to. I, I think that's the that's the play. Um, once you once you fail to hide him, right? I mean, because that's inevitable. You, you're you know you're trending toward a playoff race. Like you, you're, it's going to come up. I think you need to at some point let the air out of the balloon, and then when the air gets reinflated, you just say, "Oh, remember the air that we let out of the balloon?" It just whizzed around the room, making a farting noise. Like that's the statement. I've you know refer back to it. Um, that that's I think that's I think the rough outline of a of a of a plan but but again this is me on the spot just sort of talking yeah as I mean, opposed look, to it, having it, put a lot it, of thought into it it's a tough one just because from his perspective he's put him he he can't it's hard for him to say he's apolitical because he's been so supportive of putin to this point yeah it's not apolitical by any means so but i you know look i can totally empathize with what he is fearing for his family back home if he were to say the wrong thing so um there, there is there is no win for him even though you know what's happening is just absolutely awful and you would love to see everybody say that it's absolutely awful yep 100 percent. and there is pr there is pr class 101 for all of you who decided there to stick go. after our pod promos but again uh thanks for listening to all the vips and we will talk to you again on tuesday hopefully with a special guest in tow have a good weekend be well far ahead.